and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this number of fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Alan Doherty, clinical director at the Birmingham Prostate Clinic and recently voted one of the UK's top 10 prostate cancer specialists in a national poll of consultant urologists published in the Daily Mail. Alan has been an innovator, advocate, and dedicated practitioner of precision treatments for prostate cancer. And he joined the Focal Therapy Clinic last year to develop his expertise in delivering focal therapy. In addition to high food focal therapy, Alan has embraced IRE or nano knife focal treatments with great success for his patients, which has reinforced his views on early diagnosis and in particular prostate cancer screening. He's here today to speak with me about how advancements in and success with focal therapy change the discussion around screening. Alan, thanks for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hi, Claire. So am I. Good. Okay. Well, then let's jump right in. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation this week is because there's been in the last few weeks, a real sort of acceleration of discussion around screening, because I guess evidence is building on both advanced diagnostics and focal treatments. And the whole argument about the harm of over or under diagnosis is actually being challenged quite significantly. What What is your view on this? I think screening has been controversial ever since I started in neurology 30 years ago. And the population studies have been somewhat conflicting. And they they never really showed that the benefits uh, were hugely better than the harms uh, which came with the diagnostic process and the treatments. And, And that probably explains why there isn't a government screening program for prostate cancer and the use of PSA is really driven by individuals um, or groups of char- maybe charities, but but not really by the NHS or by any, any government um, policy. And I can understand why that is. It's really important that we understand what what screening is. And and, and I think sometimes that, that helps to clarify yes, yes. You know, the, the situation with prostate cancer in particular, because when somebody who doesn't have any symptoms, which is virtually by definition what screening is because what you're trying to do is to identify a problem in the future, a, a potential problem in the future, because it's not a problem now because you haven't yep. got any symptoms. Yep. And the the problem in the future could be 10 years away, could be 20 years away, could be 30 years away. Mm-hmm. And the size of the problem could vary from death to just having to take a few tablets. The difficulty we have in prostate cancer is to you know, decide when we make a diagnosis, uh, well, first of all, is whether we should be making a diagnosis, but when we do make a diagnosis, is to say, well, what is the potential problem in the future? How big is it? How far away is it? And we use rather basic instruments to make that guess. So we look at the level of PSA, we look at the imaging, we look at the Gleason score, and you know, increasingly we're, lo- we're starting to use genetics. And so you know, what we are trying to do is to get this looking glass into the future to to make an accurate assessment of what is coming your way. Mm-hmm. And if we think that what's coming your way is a big problem and it's not far away, then we're going to obviously want to treat that. And patients are prepared to take on some side effects if they think that the benefit is worth it. Mm-hmm. Now, the trouble with prostate cancer is that so many of these cancers, and it's, this has been shown in a number of studies, um, in, in particularly the PROTECT study, that the natural history of a PSA-detected organ-confined prostate cancer is really good. And so you're very unlikely to die of that sort of cancer in the next 10 years. So why would you 
take on a potential problem that's miles away mm-hmm. with a treatment that gives you a problem now. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, you can see why patients are, uh, well, they don't really understand it. I think I think they the media have made patients um, hyper-concerned about an early prostate cancer. Um, and that means that they're prepared to take on treatments which give them potential harm inside, you know, life-changing side effects. Mm-hmm. And they're prepared to, to, to take that because they probably wrongly think that the type of cancer that they're going to, you know, the, the effects of the cancer that they've been diagnosed is going to be much worse than the side effects of the treatment. And, and that's not necessarily the case. And that's your point about over-treatment. But equally, you don't want to under-treat. And it struck me that when these screening studies were published, that there were still quite a few deaths from prostate cancer. And you you would have thought that if you were doing a screening program, you wouldn't have any deaths. You might get harm. You might mm-hmm. get side effects of treatments. But you would, and, and so it struck me that the studies were badly designed because the, the fact that there weren't deaths at all in the prostatectomy group. So if you treat someone by removing the prostate, well, how can you die of prostate cancer? Yeah. Well, the answer is either you don't do it properly or the cancer's already spread before you take it out. Yeah, yeah. In other yeah. words... You're screening people too late. Mm-hmm. So there's another problem is that what age group do you start looking at, at these things? Because I suspect the people who are going to die of prostate cancer have quite aggressive cancers that present very early, you know, probably before the age of 50. So screening studies that use PSA, um, and, by, and by the way, that's another important point, that the screening studies so far published were using PSA only as their criteria on who they would go on to biopsy and treat. Now yes. we are far more sophisticated um, because we use the MRI scan to decide who we're going to biopsy and treat. Um, at least that's a major, you know, major factor. So, um, mm-hmm. so you can see that the the jury's still out as to whether screening is good, and I think. The, the answers to whether it's good or not will depend on um, how accurate we are at diagnosing it without harm and then whether the treatments cause any harm or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on that point, I want to pick up on something I said in, in introducing you earlier, which was that, you know, you've become a recent adoptee of, of the nano knife with patients. And we've spoken to some of your patients and I've spoken to you about this and both you and, and they have been extremely positive. And how has this influenced your thinking about screening? Oh, 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 I, I think enormously. I, I, I think the focal therapies uh, and of course, nano knife is, is one of the focal therapies has allowed us to offer a treatment to patients with minimal harm being done. I mean, it's, it's not without risk. And in fact, the more I've been involved with focal therapies, the more I realize just how powerful these tools are. But the fact you can precisely destroy the cancer where you see it in the prostate is just such an advance and potentially for a patient, that reassurance. Patients don't like to leave things once they know they're there. They like to address it, even if they know the problem's a long way ahead. And so it makes sense to me that if you find something that is treatable with a focal therapy, that why would you just leave it and monitor it? Um, It doesn't make sense to me at all. I mean, there are some situations where you would say that um, removing the prostate or using radiation therapy is needed because of the type of cancer you've got. So uh, I don't think focal therapy is the answer to all men with all prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to pick up early prostate cancers that are likely not to harm you for years, then why would you just leave it if you can just treat it with minimal side effects? It, you know, So I think as an alternative to doing nothing, the Protex study showed that even if you've got Gleason 7 or 8 or even worse, leaving it until it was obvious you needed another treatment sometime in the future did not compromise your survival at 10 or 15 years. Now, 
that's quite powerful stuff. So, so I think what screening does is it picks up lots of early prostate cancers, which you don't necessarily want to go in and you know cause harm with prostatectomy or radiation therapy, but you can control it with a focal therapy. To, to be fair to surgery and radiation therapy, and we should give a balanced view, is that the techniques have improved, and mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. amount of harm is reducing. You know, in the radiation field, you have things like MR-Linux, which allows you know, the, the minimization of, of collateral damage from the radiation. And the same with, with surgery, with the development of, you know, nerve sparing techniques. So the, the trend is very much going towards minimizing collateral harm. And the focal therapies are right up there in delivering that an effective treatment with minimal collateral damage. So, so if we're going to start adopting screening, you have to have the focal therapy uh, weapon up your sleeve. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one question would be, do you think that just the very existence of focal and, and getting the message out to men that, you know, if it's caught early, it can be treated, you know, in a less harmful way that you've yes. described. Do you think that would be enough of an impetus to, to actually bring men forward so that they're not afraid? And maybe asking it in a different way, do you think men are afraid to come forward and request a PSA test because they're simply just terrified of, of yeah. you know, all the implications of a of much more interventionist treatment? I think some are definitely terrified, and but mm. others now are terrified of of, of dying of prostate cancer because well, of course, it's, yeah, of course, because yeah. it's in the news and celebrities are being you know are highlighted as as having it. So it's very so I I think it goes both ways. You know, some yeah. people are over scared of prostate cancer, and other people are over scared of an early diagnosis and yeah. and potential impact on particularly the erectile function. So it is a complex issue. One of the things that is always going to play a part in all this is cost. And, you know, focal therapies require high quality MRI scanning um, and they require surveillance with MRI scans after mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, th- These are cost implications, which I suspect will influence any government decision on implementing a screening program. Mm-hmm. Except on the other side of that, the very existence of those uh, those you know MRI scans and and the you know the precision interpretation of those is that it reduces the biopsies and you know potentially ultimately the treatment. So Absolutely. I think it does work both ways. I mean, and on on that point, I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the arguments now in the last you know few months, few weeks even, and I know Prostate Cancer UK has has shifted its view a bit, and they've published this on PSA screening, and and they specifically mentioned that they've done so in light of advancements in the MRI diagnostic pathway. So given that that's all happened, that's now accepted, and granted there's way to go still, but why do you think the views have been so rigid? Why do you think that even in the presence of multiparametric MRI, which reduces the amount of biopsies by what, 30%, sometimes even more, why has it remained unchanged? I think that now that I've left the NHS and I've sort of not doing the group think, you, you know, you open your mind to other ideas and other concepts. And I, I think the group think is to uh, achieve cure at all cost. Okay. Uh, there isn't this concept of a trade-off between perhaps a lower cure rate, but less morbidity. If you're going to do a curative treatment, it's got to be curative. Um, and this radical, you know, approach is, I think, you know, fine for some people. And, and I think that's the discussion you have with people, mm-hmm. uh, with your patients. Um, but it's not fine for a lot of people. And so it's not really up for the uh, consultant to put his views, you know, say these are the only views that you can consider, because that's just clearly not the case. You know, there mm-hmm. are other uh, approaches. And, um, you know, I think, you know, consultants need a bit of humility here to say, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 
Um, there, there are other ways which you may or may not agree with, but that you shouldn't exclude them uh, um, at all. I, I think the other point on the diagnostic side is that there's still a long way before MRI scans are um, done reliably enough that yes, yes. consultants can sort of you know confidently say, well, I'm not going to biopsy you because you yeah. know it may. Uh, t- yeah, so so I think the perhaps in the future with uh, artificial intelligence or as it's relatively new that people are using MRI scan in this diagnostic way. You know, maybe on average three or four years or something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, people who've been advocating it, uh, uh, you know, have been probably around for 15, 20 years. You know, really yeah. pushed. Um, no, and- that's a really important point. And you and I have talked in the past, I think, on another um, podcast about the, the the MRI and the advancements. And we've talked about this issue of uniformity or, as you would put it, potentially non-uniformity um, and the, the variation of the imaging that you see. What, I mean, could you put any kind of metric on that? Like, would you say that, you know, of all the MRI scans done for uh, prostates in this country, there's a, a variability of what percent? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, Claire, you give me a, a challenge like that, and I'll, and I'll rise to it. I would say as many as fifty percent of them are are substandard, and I suppose wow. that's, that's not a very fair percentage in a way because I get a very uh, small group of people coming in uh, mm-hmm. for a focal therapy, and the quality that you need for a focal therapy is, is needs to be very high. So yes, yes, indeed. So I, I, I'm, I'm immediately critical because of that bit. But, you know, if you're using MRI scans for other purposes, maybe just, just the diagnosis or just the staging, it's probably much better than that. But, but for what we need it for. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's probably another conversation in itself. But, you know, as, as a consensus emerges on whether it's PSA testing or combined with MRI, once that consensus and and a, and a screening program maybe is developed. How would you see, foresee take up? So so say you know next week. I mean, you know suddenly we all agreed and there was a a, um, a program. But you know I read somewhere recently that in 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 breast cancer screening, for example, there's huge variation in take up of it. You know, and that that's a, a study in itself. You know, and, and women from various ethnic backgrounds or income groups or locations, you know, don't take it up. I mean, I realize this is something long into the future, and it's a nice problem to have if you have a screening program, but would you see take up because of the time it's taken to arrive at a program and that all the information that's come together maybe has been dispelled? Or would you see this as something that has to be worked on in its own right? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, I, I'm sure there are precedents out there from previous studies. And uh, my experience with the ProTech study was that uh, the the pickup was actually quite high, remarkably high, and it was driven by GPs who were sort of calling patients into habit, and you know, so so it was it was higher than I thought it would be. I can't okay. remember the exact percentage, but it was pretty high. Yeah, uh, interesting. And so I think there is an appetite out there in, in the public uh, for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell by the way, you know, if a if a charity is putting on a free PSA test, you know, the queues go around the street. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so clearly. Uh, you know, people do want to 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 know if their prostates are healthy or not, and yeah. of course, a lot of patients have urinary symptoms when they get a you know to a certain age, and you know it, it'll be playing on their minds, thinking, well, perhaps this these symptoms are to do with cancer, and, and so you know the opportunity to go and get checked out would, yes. be, would be very tempting yeah. for them, rather than to make an appointment and seem like the worried well. Absolutely, don't, don't want to do that. So I, I think a, a PSA program would would be good, and I, I think. Um, you know, if we are going to do a trial on whether it's beneficial or not, it's got to include a focal therapist. Surely it's got to include it. Mm-hmm. Um, or 
at least the information that that these this range of treatments is available, and and to take the fear factor away, as you said. Well, earlier. I'm in I'm in sort of yeah. a proper government study to 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 say look, we're because but the trouble with these studies, they take years to do, and mm-hmm. um, I've not heard of any potential screening studies in the pipeline. So, final final question, and 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 another challenge to you: if if you were to run a PSA based screening program, what what three things would you focus on? I mean, you've you've mentioned a couple, but maybe you could sum it up in uh, three points. Well, you know, transparency of outcome has always been something which I I think is not there, and it should be there because you know a lot of these treatments are skill based, and you know it's and it's very hard to interpret outcomes, and so not enough work's been done on that, so patients can be misled on what they are likely to get from treatments that that's one thing okay. um i think uh the other thing i'd be quite keen on is obviously uh, people being counseled properly about the implications of what they're doing mm-hmm. um, and uh and that would be quite important mm-hmm. uh, and um uh, you know the last thing it'd be to make sure that the mri quality is is up to scratch um I think those things would be the ones that I focused in on if I was setting up a, a screening program. Okay. Uh, well, well, we'll hold you to it when this um, when this all happens. But um, <laughs> but uh, really interesting. I mean, uh, I can see a follow on interview coming up in the near future. But um, as always, Alan, wonderful to chat with you and very enlightening. And, and yeah. thanks very much for coming and speaking with me today. Pleasure. Further information on Alan Doherty and his clinical practice is available on our website, along with the transcript of this interview as well as additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.